Howdy, I'm Paul Isaacoder, and this is Author's Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Author's Dozen podcast. This is Paul Yoder. You heard the intro. You know what it's about and what we're doing. And this is the Critics Collab. And what the Critics Collab is, is also something that you probably know. But if you don't, what it is, is that it is a bunch of critics come on and collab with me. They read my books and they tell me what's up, what they liked, what they didn't, what could be improved and what can't. Joining me today uh, is Ed Glazer. Ed, can you introduce the, the people to yourself? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I uh, appreciate it. I'm uh, already a big fan of you, and you haven't even won any high, uh, high honors from sci-fi yet. But uh, yeah, I'm a comedian, podcaster, broadcaster, educator, um, and I live in Los Angeles. And I used to live in East Lansing, Michigan, but now I don't anymore. I, I don't know if you can see I am wearing a little bit of provocative oh, Ohio, I didn't see that. Ohio material. With the, yeah, with the yeah. uh, script, script Ohio, which is indicative right. of the marching band. The, what some people only actually the people in Ohio. Band the best damn the band in the land, yeah. What I've noticed with like people from Michigan who come out to L.A. is like we have more in common than L.A. people. Yes. And so it's like... It's it's like the it's like the British and the Scottish like oh yeah. they're the worst of enemies begrudge until, begrudging like... <laughs> yeah friends now yeah yes exactly yes. so very good stuff we're um, we're people yeah. in L A not so difficult to get along with I would not like you it's <laughs> uh, lesser of two evils so yeah. there we go mm-hmm. cool so Ed thank you so much for joining us yeah great to be here tell us a little bit about the book that you read so I read uh, Siren Deep uh, by Paul Isaac Yoder. Actually, I don't know what your middle name is. That's that is correct. You've, you've Isaac. It. Okay, nail. Okay. Yes. Uh, Paul Isaac Yoder, Siren Deep. It is uh, forty-two chapters of bliss. I'm not sure if I should heap praise now or later, but um, it is a story about a young woman named Asha or Asha, who is. We start in media race, and she is uh, a, a training in powers. And she's at an academy or something of that kind. They're training for an invasion, which is imminent. We are led to believe that she is one of the best in her class at uh, all of these powers and and flying. uh, And certainly seems to be one of the best in her uh, training sequence. And then finds out that she is actually last place in her class. Okay, so yeah, Asha uh, ends up becoming a member of uh, a flight crew of a ship called the Problem Child, which is one of the scouts that's going to uh, attack the shell, which is, we think, some sort of a planet. When they land upon the shell, all hell breaks loose, um, and basically the majority of the book is uh, what they do when they're on the shell, um, trying to root out... uh, who is on their side and who is not. The goal is to seize the power that lies within the shell. And so um, it's the process of finding that power and then what happens when um, they have the opportunity to take it. It's 
in a way, yeah, it's certainly sci-fi, but it's like sort of several layered mysteries. Is that yeah. your feeling when you wrote it? I talked a lot about it in the podcast, but just the um, mystique of the thing mm-hmm. is probably what got me into the novel. Just the sort of claustrophobic uh, nightmare of like trying to get to the center of this big, like unexplainable thing. That and just the idea of like this big shell in space, like where did it come from? What the heck is going on? You know, unexplained charismatic image is uh, really what I was going for. So yeah, I I think the mystery is a big part of it for sure. I think you probably said this in the intro, but you wrote this, you wrote this dang thing in a month. Correct. Yes. Which blows me away. I can't believe that you. It. I mean, it's somewhat intricately plotted. Uh, somewhat steals some of the thunder. It's intricately plotted. Uh, there's, there's certainly nuanced uh, mystery that goes from beginning to end, um, and also the world building of the power and the nature of what that means for the people who wield it. And uh, the taking and giving of power um, is weaved in in throughout the entire narrative in a way that's um, it's not just like a, a straight sci-fi narrative. It's very uh, thought provoking, I guess is uh, is the best way to say that. No, could you could you elaborate a little bit on um, what was thought provoking for you um, with regard to I guess the power? One of the things that we learn. Uh, fairly early on is that else else power is kind of the the blanket term for the powers and um along with else power there's sort of an else self so a shadow self which you have to like engage with and which can theoretically take you over you can give over your Mm -hmm. power to your else self um and so really like a big part of, um, I mean, I'm assuming I'm allowed to like give away pieces of information Please. of the story. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Like it's, Spoil away. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so really ultimately what the story is about is, um, the pursuit of power and, um, the dangers of giving yourself over to the pursuit of power. Fun. What, so, uh, you talked a little bit about the world. Um, what did you think of the characters? The main people that, Asha interacts with, how do you pronounce it in your head? Asha or Asha? I pronounce it Asha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the main people that Asha interacts with is her crew. So we kind of meet the crew early on, um, and she is foisted upon the crew, and they're not too happy about it. She's a rookie. And um, I like all those. I like her crew. We got C, the pilot, who is uh, the daughter of... Um, uh, Ingfrid, which is Asha's main teacher. We have Quinn, who's sort of the badass duelist. Uh, we have Hodney, who's the weirdo engineer that runs the ship. We have Walleye, who is... She is highly esteemed from her past deeds in, uh, in battle. Um, and we have Rook. And I can't remember who Rook is other than Rook is a person. Um, yep. Yeah. And pretty much don't get attached because lots of people die. <laughs> like you said, writing it in a month, uh, some of the people who um, passed away in the novel are 
not really given a lot of time and characterization yeah um that i would have liked it's a war i i wouldn't say that i just tried to like kill people to like you know hammer home the like this is a war or whatever but at the same time you you have to like think about the real estate that you're taking up emotionally should you get like super invested in someone who's gonna die like a third of the way through it's it's a question so no yeah you should not with regard to like the characters, did you feel like you understood where they were coming from? I mean, obviously not Rook. Yeah, sorry, Rook. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think Quinn is is obviously supposed to be the main um, ally for Asha, um, but also there's a very strong element of like distrust. Like we start out meeting Quinn, and she's very much she's kind of hard to understand. She seems a little bit reserved or like um, almost like she doesn't want to get to know Asha maybe or mm. um, standoffish for sure. And we're not really sure why or what that's about. But Quinn is Quinn is the one that ultimately becomes her strongest ally, not just because of her power, but because in her abilities to fight. But her, um, her vulnerability is what um, makes her kind of the ultimate ally. And I thought, you know, I, I'm sure you're going to, like, tweak how long it takes to reveal things and what's revealed. And, and I feel like that, how that relationship changes over the course of the book will certainly change in uh, subsequent edits and that sort of a thing. Ba- I basically only have one critique of the book, and it just applies at different points, which is, and I think you alluded to it anyway, which is that things just need space to breathe, you know, or things need more exposition to give them the space to breathe and to just clarify what I think I understand, you know, but just to kind of spell it out for me a little more. So, but the relationship with Quinn is one of those things where it's like, um, it's standoffish, it's standoffish. And then to me, it flipped very quickly to like, Mm. Oh, I love you, Asha. And that's a, that's a tricky thing because like, I, I think I was, what I was going for a little bit is just like, different ways of showing love. I don't know. I am really interested in characters who do what's best for you, not what, you know, you necessarily want all the time, but mm-hmm. what's best for you. And uh, yeah, that's a that's a tricky line to go because sometimes that can seem almost abusive. And so I guess I tend to lean a little bit towards like likability and stuff um, where maybe I should be on the lookout to just make them a little bit more complicated. Well, or even just like make, Make it clearer to the... Re- like, I can understand Asha not understanding why Quinn is doing what she's doing, but make yeah. it make it a little bit more clear to the reader that she is doing what's best for Asha and not not what necessarily Asha wants. Because I think another, another interesting layer of complexity was Quinn, and I may have misread this, but um, is that she suffered a, a pretty major wound in a battle... Uh, which actually links together Walleye and her backstory powerfully. And then, um, if I read it correctly, like an aspect, part of what that wound did to her was like kind of maybe cross some wires in her head. Yeah, like bit. be emotional, like yeah. understand emotional appropriateness or like connection in a way. Yeah, what you said. That was how I read it. I love that you picked up on that. A lot of these things were sort of built out, uh, not necessarily from the beginning. Um, yeah, so okay. it's cool that, you know, those, uh, I mean, certain relationships, I didn't set out like trying to make a story about that, um, but I'm glad they resonated anyway. Mm-hmm. 
you know, one of the things that I tried to do, it's hard to talk about. I mean, I can't imagine what editors do. It seems like a Hmm. lot of, it seems difficult. So, yeah. Yeah. So what I did was um, I tried to kind of summarize each chapter. And each chapter is kind of like a scene in my mind. And I guess it's not completely accurate to say because, you know, in one sense, some of the chapters are large enough that they have multiple scenes. But in, that's kind of how you're looking at it, right? As an author, is like one chapter is one scenic unit or whatever. I, I definitely tend to write a little bit more filmically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely tend to stick at least one or two scenes uh, per chapter. Can I ask you, start out by asking at the beginning, why did you start it out in the way that you started it out? So are you referring to the like two people talking in like, you know, just just dialogue without any uh, sort of description or are you talking about the like training uh, session? No. Yeah. The, it starts out with a, a mysterious conversation without much context, uh, right. but with some yeah. themes that we see repeatedly throughout the book. But but there's there's not any context for that beginning. And so it kind of leaves kind of leaves you a little bit um, sort of like what where are we what's going on one of my one of my favorite books is uh ender's game Mm -hmm. and i i suppose i was trying to pull one of those you know um like conversations that only make sense um in hindsight in retrospect yeah exactly yeah and it's it's difficult because like one thing i was doing with those scenes of just people talking without uh any sort of description I didn't actually know, you know, what the story was at that point. Mm. And so I was kind of like trying to give some people some very enigmatic things to say. Um, And then I could sort of like, you know, oh, that was very enigmatic of them to say, like, let let me build some sort of plot around that. Or, Mm. you know, somebody can say something that we, the reader, don't understand, but still grabs our attention and like, oh, I wonder what they're going for there. Plants a seed Um, for the future. Yeah. Yeah, it, it plants a mystery. And whether that was done well, I, I don't think it was. Um, I think that uh, a lot of the trouble I have with this novel is that it um, sort of sets up a lot of things that it can't complete. Aren't um, resolved entirely. Exactly, yeah. And it is just like one thing after another, sort of Mad Max frenetic uh, pace where... Yes, the protagonists certainly don't get to breathe a lot, yeah. They are on the run and they're getting beat up all the time and there's a certain level of excitement about that. Mm -hmm. It might even benefit from another point of view, maybe a little bit more backstory, so... Yeah, I do feel like there's, there's parts where a little bit more exposition will just fill it out and just clarify things. Um, and even like, I didn't write down every thought I had while going through this. I went through it twice. Mm -hmm. And as I was going through it, I was like, Oh, thought occurred to me. And I'm like, Oh crap, I should write that down. But I was driving. And so, you know, I should say I I listened to, I have a way, a way of making, uh, audio or (laughs) audio books out of, uh, eBooks. So I listened to it twice, but so who is who's talking in that conversation in chapter one? I, I still don't know the answer to that. I think it's Prince and someone else. Yeah, so um, it was it was Prince and uh, it was one of the uh, the old wise women. So okay, um, that was that was what was going on in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the trouble with those chapters is that it really gives me an out to just be like, oh, it could be anybody or whatever. But that's not satisfying to a reader. Mm-hmm. Like they want to, you know, if I if I plant that mystery, they want to find out. So I'll have to reconsider. It's not Ingrid probably because she doesn't make it. 
there are like several levels of conspiracy, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, in the book. Some of those pay off, others don't. I mean, the whole book is essentially about people laying traps for each other um, and how power like turns into a trap. Mm-hmm. It is the ending is a surprise. I would say I was I was surprised by it, um, and it is. I think it's fair to say the ending now because uh, I can spoiler the crap out of it. The end. Please. The ending Please. is that the whole pursuit of the power of Shell, uh, the whole process of sending a fleet um, there to to like take the power to destroy the quote unquote anchorites is just a trick by Sovereign or. Mm-hmm. By the conate, that's also a little confusing at the end. Uh, by sovereign, yeah. which is the power, or is the entity that gives everybody the power, uh, and that has the so much power that it can create a rift in time space that allows people to travel faster than the speed of light, uh, called the exile rift. There's lots of like cool names, like even the name of the book itself, Siren Deep, is so like I was thinking about it earlier. It's it's two very simple words, but I'm like, but they ring together really nicely. And I was like, is there not another book already called Siren Deep? Because it's like such a nice, <laughs> it's such a good combo. But Exile Rift is another one. Um, and that's the power that allows them to travel. But basically, the so- Sovereign is this character or this entity, which we never really get too much insight into what Sovereign is. Is it a person? Is that the name of um a collective of people you don't know the answer to that <laughs> you know, either <laughs> I, well no i i do okay. i do in my head um i even you know had a little uh contest uh with like you know some people i knew i was like what should this character look like and you know be like and um what does it look like for someone to be like all powerful over the whole universe but yeah um oh actually the, let me yeah so before you answer i don't think no, I, I didn't finish saying what happens at the yeah. end what happens at the end what we discover is that sovereign created this whole pursuit of power to uh suss out who can be trusted and who can't basically who among their fleet will try and take the power of uh siren deep which is you know supposed to be a power as good or greater than that of sovereign and basically make them into another god who can oppose sovereign so basically sovereign creates this process of um rooting out who can be trusted and who can't be trusted uh in order to then uh at least in this case give them more responsibility uh to go about colonizing a world that's kind of the end Mm. product is uh quinn and asha (laughs) actually they don't it's not a choice they get forced into uh, colonizing a world with their fleet, the orphan fleet that they mm-hmm. were uh, born into. That's pretty wild that like you got all that because honestly, it was such a like, it was such a bunch of complicated schemes that I could barely fit into the book, and um, mm-hmm. I'm really glad that that came across. Talking about like you know who sovereign is or whatever, I wanted it to be enigmatic. Um, I definitely knew in my head that it was a. a a single entity that, uh, you know, had power beyond everyone else. And I found this coming up in my books a lot is the idea of like, what does it look like to be up against someone whose like power is so far above you? Do you 
resign yourself do you rebel or do you try to like you know figure out your place in that because that's the plot of every anime is like let's go and like fight god with you know swords or whatever it's like eh i mean can you really Mm. so um yeah so i don't know that's that's something that i guess has uh been coming up in my book i don't know why why would it be this year that i feel uh powerless i don't know why is that how many books have you written so far so uh just finished up uh number 10 we're we're recording this at the end of october that is correct we're 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 spooky we're spooking the kids and so you've Uh, literally done a book a month in 2020 spooky yes yep so did the first before coronavirus were the first two books like hopeful (laughs) like actually like nice i mean the first one was uh the second one i did some revisions and finished uh right when the rona was happening Mm. yeah i mean even in those first months we didn't know how damaging it was going to be so it wasn't necessarily like 100 percent a huge thing i try to find hope in things but there is definitely a recurring theme of being the subject to uh powers that you can't really you know fight too much against so do you think the book focused on that kind of like, you know, complicated stuff uh, to the detriment of the more human conflicts going on in the surface? No, not to the detriment. I mean, I think um, <laughs> let me. OK, so let me ask another question about the, um, so the another central character that is close to Asha that Asha deeply loves at the beginning is Don, who's like her sort of her bunk mate or her roommate. There's even like a little bit of opposition set up in the in that beginning training scene where Dawn gets the highest score, even though like secretly Asha was the better person in this training dream. The Dawn reveal is that she is the traitor. She's the one that informed the opposing fleet, which is called Union, and Union kills Ingfrid Prince actually is the person who kills Ingfrid, who is again C's mother and Asha's main trainer, wise woman. Uh, Dawn reveals that she was a traitor and that she is actually a spy for another whole group of people called the Khanate. And this was another thing I think I wasn't 100% clear on. Or the, the Khanate are another group that are trying to take power away from sovereignty. Yeah, the way I pictured them was like they, you know, I I sort of set up in the book that like, you know, if you have a close relationship with someone, you can dream together and sort of communicate, Mm -hmm. you know, longer distances. And so I had this idea of this family that uh, spreads throughout the stars and like their whole goal is to, um, you know, stay connected with one another um, in order to uh, fight sovereign. And, you know, so, yeah, Dawn was, I guess, part of that family and obligated to her family right and that was uh sort of the conflict going on with her right but really she her kind of her psyche breaks because of the guilt she feels for having betrayed uh asha that was how i how i understood her kind of mental breakdown and that was you know something i'd like to um explore a little bit more is just like it's a terrible thing to like have your family set against your friends or, sure. you know, even your uh, adopted family. So, right. Well, and yeah. there's also like a love interest for Dawn that is kind of described early and that ends up being Prince. What I took as the, uh, the principal element of what really pits Dawn's love for Prince against Dawn's love for Asha is that um, 
she she has to wrestle with the fact in the end that and she conveys all this to Asha sort of as her last thing in her revelation of her dreaming to Asha is that um mm-hmm. she recognizes that she would sacrifice for prince but prince would never sacrifice for her which sounds like a pretty toxic relationship <laughs> to me and yeah, Asha yeah. always sacrifices for her I mean, basically, it boils down to like what what is like healthy love in a way. What is love, baby? Don't hurt me, Prince. <laughs> yeah, and and so I thought that was in, very interesting, and it very, but it also uh, felt abrupt, like it came. There was no yeah. indication of that. I mean, even early on, like there's you know the way you kind of introduce this Prince character. I guess maybe in hindsight it's easier to see, but we find out that Don has like a boyfriend and kinda, and um, there's like a. The, I think throughout there's like a little bit of a suggestion that like maybe the boyfriend isn't on our team, Team Orphan Fleet. That that's like in a way the the only kind of information I feel like where I had like going into chapter thirty three that like oh there's a whole there's a whole layer of intrigue of this family of the conate who have infiltrated sovereign but then there's a flip at the end which i guess i don't fully understand where prince reveals prince is the one that kind of meets asha and quinn after they face off with the siren deep and decide not to take the power and Mm -hmm. prince is basically like uh okay now i'm gonna tell you now i'm gonna explain all the things to you which are you know right this was a trap this was a test it is a trap if you decide to take the power then you are permanently made a part of shell shell is basically made up of all of the people who fell for the trap and that it was all sovereign but also he says that one of the most powerful or like one of the leaders of sovereign is a conate is he talking about himself in that case or something else yeah, um, that was that was my uh, thought okay. that he was, you know, he was a uh, high up in the the power structure of both factions, and you know, unbeknownst to the uh, conspiracy, you know, he's he's working against them. So that's the thing is, I don't know necessarily that I will uh, build on this story as like one of the more powerful ones because I think there are some really cool ideas in it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if the schemes within schemes are super compelling and they're especially like difficult to talk about. It's, it's very complex, which can be appealing to some people, but you know, hearing you explain it, I'm like, yeah, that's interesting in a certain way, but I don't know if it's like, I don't have a suggestion other than I I wouldn't ditch this. I feel like it's a really good story. I feel like they are interesting characters. I feel like they just, they just want to be filled out a little more like the yeah. the relationship between Quinn and Asha massaged a little bit um some in some like early on future indications that like um the reason why Quinn is so standoffish maybe is because of her partially because of her injury um and mm-hmm. that like she has Asha's best interest I mean Asha is a compelling protagonist um yeah i feel like it's a like don't ditch it maybe like maybe one process is the thought exercise of peeling away a certain level of the um of the intrigue see if it yeah if there's any negative or positive effect on the story and if you if you peel it away and it doesn't add or take away i mean like 
you know, I don't know if the Kone is an example of that because we still, somebody did, was a traitor to betrayed. the, yeah, somebody betrayed yeah. The, yeah. the orphan fleet, which is what Asha and uh, Dawn are part of. And so there's got to be, re- there has to be a reason why. Here was, here was my thought. Originally, when I had this idea, I was thinking of like, what would like a universe look like if people, you know, if it still took years and years and years to travel between the stars? Mm-hmm. You know, one thought I had was like... But we also have the capability to like communicate in, in fast distances. Right. Yeah. My thought was no generational fleet like is guaranteed to make the planet or whatever. The, the uncertainty there and the fact that you could waste like 20 years on a fleet that like for some reason you know breaks down and doesn't even make it so i was thinking wouldn't it be interesting if like uh the ruler decided to send like four or five fleets all at once Mm. and just like have them battle royale over this planet and i I think if i was going to make like you know if i was going to build out this story that's kind of where i would go um because suddenly the the it's simple. We all got here at the same time, you know, and uh, we are all suspicious of one another and we all have a common goal. But like the second that goal is over, bam, it's uh, it's war between everyone. So, um, yeah, I that was that was my original idea. And I think that's just a lot simpler. Um, it allows you to create different cultures. I think you could still have the story of like, you know, trying to escape down into the um depths and you know figure out what happened to the inhabitants and why they're all freaky tooth monsters so yeah there are a lot of like freaky anime monsters <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i've never been like a good artist the freaky the freaky monsters uh are kind of easier to describe than draw because uh, sure. you can use your imagination oh that bone's sticking out there or that you know it's got a few too many arms i wonder what that looks like and kind of lets your mind come up with the most horrifying thing that yeah you the can. underwater so. sea monster that's a huge collection of corpses yeah it's a good time yeah. what do you think about like the the power system does that like make sense uh, do you understand like why everything in the world works the way it works yeah it makes sense um I think it. One of the thoughts I had was like I wanted I wanted you to describe it and and sort of like go into it's sort of like the exposition happens um, over the course of several parts of the book. Electricals, yeah, yeah. Like, um, and I guess I wanted more exposition up front about the else power, if possible. I don't even know if that's possible, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's five powers. There's mm-hmm. attack, at armor, attack flight animation and dreaming is that correct that that that's correct that is correct yeah and so the the idea was to make them each strong against like two others and weak against two others Mm -hmm. and sort of like create like a rock paper scissors Mm -hmm. sort of fighting system yeah that's Um, cool and then somebody else in one point of the book kind of uses a power within a power which is an unexpected move that catches our our protagonist off guard they use dreaming within animation yeah and that would be you know something that i think in like a battle royale would be really like fun because what we have right now is a bunch of conspiracies and you know people sort of fighting the same fight over and over where what i really wanted out of that system was like creative approaches to the sort of limitless combinations you can have i mean i think the other the other thing that's really compelling about the power system that you've set up is it requires 
sort of in order to use it it requires everyone to have an an antagonistic relationship with some aspect of their self which is like the else asha but like basically like anytime power is accessed you are dealing with thinking against or with uh, a shadow version of yourself which i took to be like sort of an illusion of the ego in the story, like in universe, they're not really sure, you know, whether it's like some other entity or whether it's like a part of yourself. I sort of viewed it as more of the latter. I mean, what happens to us when we get like even a modicum of power? Right. We start to think like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I used it for A, B and C? And shouldn't I want like power all the time? Like, shouldn't I use this power to like get even more power? And, and it's, it's sort of a runaway train. And also like we then tell ourselves that we're the reason why we have that power like we're it it becomes sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy of like if we're given power then it's like i was given power because i'm great i deserve yeah yeah i did this i did this all by myself which is never true one thing that i kept on talking about in this book and i'm sort of coming back to it in the book i just wrote are characters who have been hurt in the past or really felt insignificant or you know any number of things and the sort of temptation the power offers there because like you know you don't have to feel small anymore like you don't have to feel like in danger anymore mm-hmm. at the same time like you're you're just fighting and fighting further and further up the ladder it just becomes like you know bigger bosses that you have to face i don't know i get the allure for sure but it's kind of a never ending cycle of just wanting more power to protect your power and there's a whole bevy of things you can talk about with that and i i just think it's super fun right well and i think the the one of the things that i like about it too is um the people who are literally the monsters, literally the monsters that like, you know, have the, the mm. creepy multiple mouths and all kinds of things are the people that gave themselves over to their power. Mm-hmm. So it's like the, the people yeah. that, I mean, that's very much the real world too, right? Like people, people yeah. that give themselves over to their ego pursuits completely become monstrous people. And in this case, it's mm-hmm. just an externalization yeah. of that, you know? Um, <laughs> So yeah. it's like so in that sense it's really clever. So I don't want to see you ditch this book. I don't want to abandon everything about this. Mm-hmm. For sure no. Um but I think that the plot could use some major reworking. I just think there's a more compelling arena to put these characters and powers into. The plot should complement the characters and the abilities that they have. They should be the most interesting people at the most interesting time. I'm not sure if this specific plot amplifies their powers uh very well i think that like having a bunch more antagonists and like a lot less complication would be a better way to take it i mean to me it's it's the way i read it was like well it's remarkably good for having been pumped out in such a short period of time the sort of compressive nature of it uh is explained by that and my my takeaway my strong takeaway was like well you know, as you run through drafts, like you're going to end up filling in bits more of exposition that are going to clarify the things that I think I understood. I mean, as far as I can tell, I understood things pretty much correctly. The things that you left ambiguous, you did on purpose. um, And those are fine choices. Uh, You can, you know, you could always infinitely do whatever you want in a story. 
Yeah. I don't think there's, you know, I think it's just, it just needs more breath in it. Um, and you know, it's like, like sure. anything else I'm sure would benefit from, uh, like an editor who isn't you, who, you know, is the, <laughs> like, has experience in helping, um, you know, burr the story along from initial draft to like final draft. And I'm, you know, I am a reader of sci-fi for sure, but like the difficulty and the monument monumentalness of that task really yeah, it's just scared different. me when I was like, Oh my God, like what, what do I need? <laughs> like when I was trying to prepare for this, I was like, what do I need to do in order to like be able to provide useful criticism and uh, I was like, yeah. my, even just like describing everything is hard. Um, I can't imagine having written it, uh, but even like being a, a useful editor is something that seems beyond me. Well, that's and that's that's a good thing I've learned through this, uh, you know, critics club. Everybody brings a different viewpoint to the table, which is like way more valuable than having, you know, like nine editors who have their like, you know, special editor way of doing things. I mean, that is what will happen in the real world is a lot of people will come at it with a lot of different takes and a lot of different uh, ways of looking at things. We're not all like professional book editors. And I think that it's truly important to, I mean, you're a sci-fi fan. You read uh, a lot more than most people I know. Um, You are like a communicator by trade and, you know, stressing clarity is a huge deal. That's, that is the writer's first job in some ways is just to like make things clear and to get the idea across. Where other people would focus on other things, I think that is something that talking over this conversation, my mind is just buzzing of like, how do I like simplify this and in order to like uh, complexify the characters, so. Well, good, I hope you don't give up on it. It's a compelling world building, uh, even though we just get a a little taste of the world of power. That was a fun thing that I was sort of playing around with in my head about like writing this is it's a power fantasy, you know, like people are flying around, they're hitting each other with like uh, atomic swords, rad, just like rad stuff, yeah. you know, and like I, I, I want to be there. But at the same time, like you see the you see the consequences of like power fantasies and the sort of the, the majority of the book, Asha is doesn't know the nature of her origin doesn't know where she came from. She, she, uh, most members of the orphan fleet, um, at least know something about where they came from. Right. But she mm-hmm. is a true orphan in the sense that she doesn't know part of her, like angst comes from like, she was maybe ditched by her parents or they were killed. We're not really clear. She has something of like a Harry Potter, like scar on her body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, I think it is sort of explained like at towards the end where she's like, Oh, I actually know. I think I know what it was. I think I know what I am all along. Yeah. Can you, and I believe she is an anchorite. Yeah. My thought was that, you know, she was the child of some people who were not down with the government and, you know, was if not like physically cut from her parents' arms, you know, at least a part of some attack on her parents. Yeah. And so again, the idea of like having this power fantasy of like, we're going to go kick some butt and you are the person whose butt got kicked last time without even really knowing it. The actually, let me, can I, can I say the anchor, I mentioned the word anchorite a couple of times. 
Anchorite is kind of like the race that they're told they are uh, coming to the shell to kill. And so, of course, by implication, that would mean that I am not an Anchorite. But it turns out, <laughs> right. yeah. nope, whoops. Yeah. Coming to, like, you know, combat a certain way of life and, you know, realizing that you were on the other end of that at some point. And so it's really the Avatar 2 of books. That's what it really is. <laughs> James, give me a call and uh, we'll get it done. Okay. So, dude, tell tell the people where they can find you on the internet and so forth. I You can find me on Instagram, I guess, Ed Glazer, E-D-G-L-A-Z-E-R. Uh, I used to have a web page, but I'm not actually sure what happens to that. Um, <laughs> I appear on a couple of podcasts, uh, one of which is my mm-hmm. own, but we're very, very slowly rolling out episodes, but that is called Radio Enactment, and you can find that at radioenactment.com. And I also appear weekly on a uh, three guys just talking about stuff that really make you think uh, and that is called Really Make You Think, uh, rmyt.org. It's the hard-hitting perspectives of somebody from Lansing, Michigan, Some uh, three people from Lansing, Michigan, one of which is in Lansing, the other which is in Hong Kong, and the third of which is in Los Angeles, rmyt.org. We, we've talked on my podcast a little bit about improv and uh, the stories that you guys managed to pull together and like actually make them entertaining and funny, um, you know, in real time is truly a sight to behold. So they should go and check you out. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, eventually someday we'll be doing Second City Improv again, hopefully when yes. theater returns to the world. Hey, take care of yourself, man. All right, stay classy, Paul. 